Welcome to the Life Christian Church Podcast, where our mission is to inspire people to the life God dreams for them as we spread His love in ever-widening circles. All right, so uh, I'm just going to jump into today's teaching. Uh, there's, there's a lot to say about uh, a very important and, frankly, pretty complex portion of Scripture that we've been teaching through and uh, will be teaching through over these next several weeks. Let, let me begin by saying that this past August, I had the marvelous privilege of being in uh, Amsterdam. I traveled there during my study intensive uh, along with Dr. Abraham Thomas, one of our elders. And th- the first day we were there, we did a walking tour through uh, old city Amsterdam. And our guide stopped in front of a church called uh, the Basilica of St. Nicholas that is right on the border of the famous uh, red light district in um, Amsterdam. Now, I'll let you know that the walking tour did not walk through the red light district, uh, but we did look at this church right on the border of the red light district, and the guide told us that this church had been sitting there for hundreds of years and was was put uh, where it is for a very specific reason. And the, the specific reason was because there were so many, particularly, uh, so many sailors who uh, would uh, be in Amsterdam, Amsterdam having been one of the busiest ports in the world, if not the busiest port for some uh, period of history. And these sailors would uh, visit the red light district and after that would come to the church which they built to be convenient for their confession and to pay penance before they went out to sea. And in fact, business was so brisk at the Basilica of St. Nicholas that they actually ended up building an additional room just so someone could enter quickly, confess quickly, pay penance of some type, which typically involved, and I think in this case always involved some amount of money, and assuage their guilt before they headed back out to sea. And the, they, they built this business model to such an extent that um, they actually started having the sailors come in to the, do the confession before they went to the red light district. And they would be absolved beforehand as long as they confessed and paid whatever amount of money needed to be paid in terms of penance. Now, This causes me to think of a lot of things, I guess. There's a lot about that that's very sad, of course. But it causes me particularly to think about the absolute futility of religious practice that is void of power. These sailors assuaged their guilt, but there was apparently no hope whatsoever of actually changing the destructive behavior that was the source of the guilt. These sailors needed what all of us need, to make peace with God, to receive forgiveness, and to experience transformation. Can we believe that what we're doing here today, that our relationship with God and the church can promise us that? Can it promise us peace with God? Can it promise us forgiveness? Can it 
promises more than just forgiveness, but also transformation. Can we believe that all of this, all of this being together in a place like this, joining us online, that this is more than just a transactional event to help us feel better about ourselves, but that through an actual experience with God that we can be forgiven and become better because of the help of a power greater than ourselves, by a divine agency outside of ourselves and our own efforts, especially feudal religious efforts. Can we believe that? That this is more than just a religious exercise that doesn't really do anything but help us feel better for a few minutes, and then we go on our way and continue living the way we've always lived. This leads me to our text today. We are, uh, as most of you know, teaching through Hebrews. We have been since the first of the year. Uh, Hebrews, this beautiful book in the New Testament, uh, a divinely inspired letter written to Jewish Christians who were living in Rome in the mid-A.D.s, uh, mid-A.D. 60s. And these Jewish Christians were very discouraged and uh, without repeating a lot of detail, many of them were so discouraged that they were thinking about leaving, uh, following Jesus to return back to the religious practices of Judaism. Judaism, they had believed, had led them to Christ. But now, in their discomfort, they were thinking about returning back to safe religious rituals and religious practices that uh, ultimately had not been satisfactory to them, uh, but nonetheless, they were thinking about going back nonetheless. The writer of Hebrews tells us that Judaism was a beautiful religion and, uh, and given and designed by God, but that the rituals and laws of Judaism, the religious exercises, were no longer necessary because Jesus, as their Messiah, had done everything needed to be done to fulfill the ultimate goal of Judaism and to bring complete forgiveness and total transformation to anybody who would believe in him and follow him. So let's pick up our teaching at Hebrews chapter 9. A pretty, again, uh, the middle of Hebrews is a pretty complex uh, and difficult text to 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 teach about on a Sunday morning, it kind of will begin to change a little bit next week. We'll start to get into some more um, uh, obvious uh, and familiar things to most of us that are that might be a little easier for us to make application. But today, we're going to dig into Hebrews, the ninth chapter, and we're going to talk about how that the sacrifice of Jesus makes us at one with God. The sacrifice of Jesus actually brings us into a transformational relationship with God. And he begins, this writer to the Hebrews, by talking about how that the rituals of Moses were not sufficient to make us at one with God. So uh, when we're talking about the religious uh, the the uh, the rituals of the tabernacle. We're talking about the tabernacle. We're talking about the law. All that came in the covenant that God gave to Moses. If I could just have a little bit more volume in my monitors, I would be grateful. So here's Hebrews chapter nine. 
the first section. Now, the first covenant, the covenant of Moses, had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. He's talking now about the tabernacle, the plan of which God gave Moses at Mount Sinai about 3,500 years ago. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of the, of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. Some translations call this the mercy seat. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priest entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry, but only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people, and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time. He's talking now. He's in the, writing in the first century. This is an illustration he's saying to these Jewish believers in Rome for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered, the confession being made, the penance being paid, if you please, whatever religious effort was ongoing in this particular tabernacle that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. In other words, these were religious practices that were important for their time, but ultimately didn't accomplish their purpose. The purpose ultimately was the leadest to Christ who would do what all of that was pointing towards. Okay? So, uh, the tabernacle of Moses was a, a plan that was given to Moses at Mount Sinai. And um, to keep this really simple, if you were to see the tabernacle of Moses, uh, it, w- it was essentially a tent, about 150 feet long by 75 feet wide. And, and in this tent was a uh, inner sanctuary. It was uh, a, about, it was 15 feet high, 15 feet wide, 45 feet long, and divided into two sections. Uh, and these two sections were the holy place and the most holy place. When you think about the tabernacle and then the temple of Solomon, which was built after it, and at the time of Christ now, that temple had been restored to great glory by Herod. It was called the Temple of Herod. You think in terms of the outer court where worshipers could come up to a piece of furniture called uh, the the, uh, brazen altar and make burnt sacrifices. But then the holy place was a place where only priests could enter, and uh, they did that on a schedule that uh, probably allowed most of them to perhaps only be there maybe once a year. And then uh, there was the most holy place, and only one man once a year, the high priest, could enter the most holy place. And of course, the thing about the most holy place is that that's where God lived on, on the planet. 
He lived over a piece of furniture called the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant had inside of it uh, several things. The thing that I typically like to focus the most on is it had in it the law of Moses as had actually been written by the finger of God. And uh, it was covered by a covering called the atonement cover, or again, some translations call it the mercy seat. And then above it were two gigantic cherubims, and between the cherubims and over the mercy seat, the atonement covering, looking through that to the law, was the presence of God. He manifest himself on this planet, living in the most holy place over the Ark of the Covenant. And I like to think about how that the covering over this Ark is called the atonement covering. Uh, Our English word atonement comes from the idea of at-one-ment or at-one-with. And it's the idea of reconciliation. Uh, when, when, when the priest would enter the most holy place to make, uh, an offering and cover that atonement cover with blood, the idea was that God, who was holy, could be at one, at least in that moment, with his people as he looked through the atonement covering, through the blood, if you please, at the law. The human being who was standing in that most holy place, representative of all humanity, did not live up to the law, could not live up to the law, could not do all the things that God said were necessary to be in relationship with him, therefore was in a state of sin. But God made a way through the offering of a sacrifice for a human being to have an at-one-ment with God because God decided he would look at the law through the blood that covered the mercy seat or the atonement seat and therefore effectuated an at-one-ment, if you please, with God. And so what was necessary, though, for this to happen was there had to be a sacrifice made. And uh, that sacrifice was a sacrifice made in substitution for the life of the sinner. God had said from the very beginning that the, that the, that, that the, the soul that sinned would surely die. But he decided that a sacrifice could be offered as a substitutionary death for the sinner. And in this case, in the tabernacle of Moses, that the blood of that sacrifice covered the law which represented the humanity's inability to satisfy whatever it was God told them to do and God decided that he would have mercy and he had this desire to be at one with humanity. Now let's talk about as uh, Hebrews has necessitated several times let's talk about sacrifices and blood for a few minutes. I realize that talking about animal sacrifices in the year 2022 seems primitive. But in order to understand what Jesus did for us, and in order to understand what the writer of Hebrews is saying to those he's writing to, it's important to talk about sacrifices. Now part of what Jesus did is he made the need for an animal sacrifice obsolete. But Since the very beginning, God himself had made a sacrifice to cover the sin of someone who had 
not been able to live up to what God had asked them to do. 